0: Welcome to another episode of the Gospel Lifeline podcast. My name is Neil Grogan here with Matthew Statler, and we are doing some different things. Uh, First of all, let us just say we are so sorry last week's episode did not come out. There was a technical disruption where the podcast we recorded only five minutes of Matt's came through. (laughs) And so... Uh I didn't want you guys to uh listen to 35 minutes of Neil Grogan with a lot of awkward breaks where Matt was still talking talk to himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would have been awkward, but uh so we're picking back up this week, and today we're gonna do something a little interesting. We're gonna look at a, a couple chapters in Joshua and uh and we're gonna really look at how um God um loves and extends his love to his people in in three main ways right Matt we were talking how God is a refuge for his people how he preserves his people and how he is faithful to his people and so Matt you want to give some background on Joshua 20 and 21 and then we'll unpack uh how uh we'll unpack the great love of our God expressed towards his people or extended towards his people in the passage
1: yeah so we uh, uh as a church have been preaching through uh joshua and um we're on our third season if you you want to use that terminology of of this joshua um epic passage uh passages and uh in joshua man we have the people of god are finally allowed to enter into the promised land they begin to achieve the promise god has given them Uh, you know, through battles. And it's really exciting at the very first part of Joshua. I mean, it's like war and battle. Like people say, oh, yeah, point still uses the tactics that they learned from the book of Joshua. You know, all these, you know, these things. And um, it's just, it's heroic. And we see failure on the, you know, on people's part. It's just a really great narrative um, section. But then you slowly move into the middle part of Joshua and then finally to the end of Joshua And it land, um, names and cities, all the distribution, right? The tribes are governments. Um, And it can get pretty uh, ho-hum or humdrum or boring. Um, (laughs) And man, I have been so encouraged. And my church, I believe, has been encouraged as we have studied in detail all of this. And so uh, when we finally get to, to, to chapter 20, we've already finished the allotments that have been promised to all the tribes except for the Levites. And so... Um, All the tribes have been given territory or land or cities, right? Simeon was only given cities because they were to be spread out amongst all the tribes because of the curse uh, essentially given by Jacob, um, also known as as, uh, Israel. And so he he kind of said Simeon and Levi will be spread amongst the people. Well, we know that the Levites redeemed themselves in an instance in the wilderness when um, the people were basically worshiping a false idol um, and the Levites stood up and stood with Moses and the Lord. And so they were blessed to be the priests. And um, so in this passage, we're going to see three things like Neil mentioned that the God has told the people to establish cities of refuge. The, the Levites, the cities of refuge are the Levi are part of the Levite cities. And so the Levites are living there so they're also a place of refuge for people. And so the the first little section of this is really chapter twenty. And so we have these establishing of cities of refuge. Now, um, one thing I have to remind my people is I believe that all scripture is God breathed and the things that were written in the former times, as the passage says, are written for our instruction. So all of this is God's holy and perfect word for us. And so if I truly believe that God's word is, is effective and sufficient and necessary, then I'm not gonna just skip all the um, land promises, I'm not going to skip uh, just the hard to pronounce names uh, as we go through it. And so uh, we as a church have struggled through these names because as an English speaker, it's hard for me to pronounce uh, Hebrew uh, cities and lands, uh, but man, it has been so rich for us and devotion in new ways.
0: Yeah. So, you know, the the encouragement we would have for you guys as you're doing your reading uh, of God's word. Don't skip over Leviticus. Don't skip over, uh, these harder passages or obsc- even obscure packet passages, but it dig down, um, study. Remember that God is instructing you through these stories, even that happened that, you know, thousands of years ago, hundreds and thousands of years ago. And, and the six cities of refuge that God gives it here are, uh in chapter 20 um man that that matters for us today also and so verse one
1: we have yahweh you know the 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 name for god uh, his personal name he spoke to joshua and said we need to establish you need to establish these cities and so if you're, uh, if you're studying this, you would notice that Numbers 35 gives very um, detailed instructions as to how this is to work. So so really, in our passage, we only have a summary. And I'm just going to summarize it rather than read it because this is not Sunday morning me preaching. Otherwise, I'd read through the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but what we could say is the, the instruction here is for those who, who um, accidentally intentionally uh, kill someone. Um and, and the goal is, is that the people would not land to be polluted by bloodshed. So uh, some of the the illustrations of what happens is you're working in the field, and um, you know your your axe gets loose, your axe head gets loose, and the wood part hits your buddy as you're you're working. Um, and it, it takes him out. It kills him. Now, um, the people, his family, are allowed to avenge his death. And they could immediately try to hunt you down and put you down. Right? So these cities of refuge are a place for you to run to. Um, there's six of them. And they're within 30 miles. All these cities are spread out through all of Israel so that they're all within 30 miles. So you could get there in a half day to a day, depending on how fast you can move. Uh, and so you run to the city. You stand outside the gate. And you make your case, you say, I was working in the field, I accidentally hit my friend, he died, and, um, and so now I am a manslayer, um, and I, I need refuge. And so then the, the Levites of the city would listen to your case, um, they would determine whether it qualifies as a manslaying that was unintentional, um, and so then bring you into, into the city, and then you would wait for trial. Right, and so if there was a trial that was held later down the road, uh, you could be exonerated and then be allowed to return, or um, depending on what goes on, you may have to stay in that city forever. So it's in some ways it's preservation, and sometimes it's kind of like a little prison. Um, and and the beauty of this is in verse six, it says, "And he shall live in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment." until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the manslayer shall return and come to his own city and to his own house, to the city from which he fled. And there's just a real little side note there about this high priest. And so if he's living in the city, he's waiting judgment or he's been judged, he cannot return home until that high priest passes away, until that high priest dies. Uh, and so, some commentators have made the case, like this is a form of atonement, um, you know, for the death. So, you know, we know that like sin requires a blood sacrifice in the Levitical uh, laws, and so this death of the high priest in some way or somehow atones for this man's sin, whether it be intentional or not. Uh, and it's just a really beautiful picture of what the gospel is uh, that we have a refuge and a high priest. And so high priest as Christians, we know from Hebrews four that this high priest is Christ. Uh, And I'm going to read that passage. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. This manslayer is in a time of need. He is desperate to get home, right? He wants to survive. Uh, The problem is, I think as believers, we have a hard time connecting that reality with our own personal situations. Uh, And so, one of the the highlights for me is is looking at this passage and say, you know, we are all guilty of manslaughter uh, in some way. Uh, if you've ever been angry at one at someone, Jesus says, if you've been angry at your heart, you've murdered him essentially in your heart. Uh, so Matthew spiritually, five. we are all yeah, spiritually we're all murderers. Um, you know, we've all
0: we've all done this, and so you know, you know, Matt, we're all uh, guilty. In uh, R.C. Sproul's book, Knowing Scripture, one of the things that he encourages that I don't, I don't think we often do when we read, especially when we read texts like this, but R.C. Sproul uh, encourages that you put yourself in the skin of the characters, not just the heroes of the story, right? And and this is important for us too to do, especially when we're on a, a text like this. I love that you went to Matthew 5. Um, we, we need to put ourselves in the skin of the manslayer, the skin of the murderer, or even if it's accidental, right. Um, because what it does is it exposes the reality that we have a great need. And the great need is for the great high priest, as the text says, that it's the great high priest who provides refuge in the city for us to dwell in or to live in like your, uh, translation, um, said, Matt. And yeah. then and then I, I, love, I love that you drew down on verse six because man, I agree, um, through the death of the high priest, the man finds the ability or is given the ability to return to the place that he belongs, um, where he's from, right? Um, and and in Jesus, <laughs> we have this great high priest, who not only died a sacrificial substitutionary death, but Jesus has passed through the heavens. He now sits yeah. at the right hand of God, bringing all to the place that they belong. Or earlier in, in Hebrews 4, it talks about this place of rest, <laughs> this place mm-hmm. of refuge yeah. uh, for for our souls. And, and in Hebrews 4, he cites specifically Joshua, how how the promised yeah. land... Uh, was this place of refuge and rest, and this is the the beautiful uh, intermingling of the two testament, testamental, uh, testamental periods, and uh, man, we see that expressed here in Joshua 20 and Hebrews 4, how this all works together in light of the sun uh, yeah. or the great high yeah. priest. And, and Neil, Numbers
1: 35, 33 through 30. 34 talking about the same scenario. It says, yeah. Do not defile the land where you live, for bloodshed defiles the land. And there can be no atonement for the land because the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of the person who shed it. Do not make the unclean where you live and where I dwell, mm. right? He's emphasizing his presence with his people, for I, the Lord, reside among the Israelites. And so the high priest, the intercessor, on his death, uh, is the atonement to free, um, those who are guilty or unguilty of, of what they, what they have done. And, and man, what a, what a powerful passage. But the second part is, uh, 21 through 42 and, uh, sorry, chapter 21, verse one through 42. Hey,
0: before these, you get there, Matt, yeah. before you get there, how, how might we You know, one of the most difficult things I think for the reader is, you know, what is my application? Like, how do I apply this text to my life specifically? How might you encourage our listeners to apply this reality of refuge uh, into their lives? So if you're an unbeliever, if you
1: are not a Christian, if you do not have saving faith in the Lord Jesus, you are a manslayer and you are on the run. Um, yeah. That's why you feel the burden of guilt that you feel. That's why you can't find satisfaction or contentment. Uh, that's why you feel that internal angst. Uh, and so you must run to the high priest, Jesus, and find refuge in him because he already paid the atonement price. So go get your atonement. Go, go be saved. Let, let your sins fall upon his head. Uh, get that done immediately run to refuge.
0: So there's no other option, you will be run right. down and you will be killed.
1: <laughs> Condemnation. Right. You're going
0: to be bagged be... and tagged. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well that brings Watch out memories. insurgents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're you're going to be run down and and killed for for all that you have done. Uh wh- whether ignorantly or you know waywardly, purposely. <laughs> and uh but so, you know, it reminds me of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, yeah. I'll give you rest. Like this right. is well, why are they weary and heavy laden? Because Proverbs
1: 29, I think 11 says, yeah,
0: the wicked flee when no one is chasing, that's yeah. right. <laughs> you know, that's why we're weary. Yeah, that's right. So for the unbeliever, there's this great hope that you can find rest for your weary soul in the great high priest of jesus so that's for an unbeliever so what about for a believer
1: oh man i'm telling you even as believers man we we do intentional and unintentional sinning and um we we can despise our our birthright which is um which is is the forgiveness of our sins you know we tend to cling and hold on to the things that we've done and so um this this passage reminds me that even if i sin intentionally or unintentionally i can run to my my high priest who um who graciously loves me and cares for me and that same passage of come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden i'll give you rest for my for my my yoke is is light right my my son said What does he mean? His yoke is light. His yoke is it is is like non-existent. He doesn't have the the weight of guilt on his own back (laughs) because he didn't sin. And I said, yeah, his his yoke is like a life preserver, man. You put that on so you can be buoyed up. And so, um, yeah, as believers, we tend to forget that we have refuge in our Lord. Uh, We flee like Adam and Eve in the
0: garden. That's right. Or we make for ourselves fig leaves to try and cover our own shame you know and and i would say the way we run to jesus is is much like this when you see um in verse four of chapter 20 he flees to one of these cities Mm. stands at the entrance of the gate and states his case in the hearing of the elders of that city what is that well for the christian or the unbeliever That is confession of sin. We stand before Jesus. We confess our sin without being defensive, without trying to justify our sin, without trying to claim some right we uh, assume we have, and we use biblical language to speak about our sin so that it removes all ambiguity, and we confess it fully to Jesus, putting our faith in him that he can forgive and restore He is our refuge and he's the only, the righteous one is the only one who can make the unrighteous righteous, you know, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 21 says, uh, he made him, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin so that we may become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so this is the beautiful exchange that we experience, uh, through a relationship with Jesus that our sin is placed upon Jesus, and Jesus places his righteousness upon us, that's the great need of the great high priest.
1: And Neil, verse 9, these were the appointed cities for all the sons of Israel and for the sojourner, right, for even the Gentile, for even the non-people of God, right, Um, who sojourns among them, that whoever strikes down any person unintentionally may flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger. of of blood until he stands before the congregation man Mm. uh what what a what a beautiful picture of god's being god being
0: a refuge he is our refuge yeah so that's the refuge section now in chapter 21 you we really see how god preserves his people uh more specifically what what were some of the things that you um picked up on as you were studying chapter one twenty one Oh man, there's so
1: much here. Like it it could go on for days and days and days. And um, we don't have time to just unpack every um, son of Aaron. And we don't have time to unpack uh, each of the sons of Levi uh, because Levi had a a task and and their family tribe had a position in the temple that they were responsible for. Um, But basically, the people, uh, the Levi say, come to the, the leaders and they say, okay, give us our allotment. And so the head, Joshua, and um, the other priest Eleazar, um, they determine, they throw lots, and they ask the Lord, you know, to provide um, guidance, and they do do the lots, and then he assigns each tribe cities to live among. And the beautiful thing about this is all the tribes have levi cities so the levites are spread throughout the entire uh part of israel throughout all of israel Uh, and so what this does is it provides us with this um, this this preserving nature so uh, before there was refrigeration people used to preserve their food with salt right? right salt would be spread on the meat and that would keep the meat from going bad Uh, And in the same way, God has orchestrated that the people, the Levites would be spread amongst the people of God, and this preserves the people. So the Levites, their their role was not only to serve in the temple, but they were also the instructors, Um, they, they would teach the law, they would teach the word of God to the people. And they would be judges so that people would bring their case or problems and they would open up the law of God and they would respond to the struggle that that person is experiencing by what God's word says to do. Uh, And not only that, but they uh, they would spend time at the temple. So it's this continual standing before the presence of God and then coming back to the to the to the land where they live or the city or the, the plot of land they were provided and then. Being a preservative to the people around them, uh, and so it should bring a God consciousness to all uh, the tribes. And I think the tribes inherently knew this because uh, there's stories in judges where they run across a Levite who doesn't have like a place, and they like kidnap him because yeah. they're like, "Oh, we need a Levite, right? We need we right. need salt, we need preservation." Though they they make him be a an you know. Uh, a levi to their gods and their false idols but that's another story for another time Uh, but the the reason they need it so desperately is because in judges we see that they're doing everything that is right in their own eyes that's right right and so they neglect the word of god and which then leads to the neglecting of the high priest or the the priests right the priests have to figure out a way to survive because the people are no longer bringing from the storehouse they're not bringing food uh, or provisions and the worship of god has, has died out uh, and we see this 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 cycle now for the rest of of the book of the of the old testament of of the levites being neglected the levites not doing their job the levites being manipulative all these various things but the main thrust of what i what i notice in 21 is that god preserves his people god knows that each generation needs instruction and that the current generation needs government, right? Because there is no king in Israel uh, and the priests being uniquely suited for that role. So a lot of times we say, okay, well, we don't have Levites anymore, right? There's, there's no more, more Levites. And that's true because we are all considered um, priests as Christians, as believers. Uh, we are a kingdom of priests to ourselves. Revelation 1.6 talks about being designated as priests. So, our job essentially is to keep the word in our hearts and our homes and our communities. And uh, my challenge to my congregation on Sunday is going to be how are you doing that? How are you keeping God's word uh, for your family, for yourself, and for your community? And the second thing um, that I really like to bring out is that he gives us the church with elders who are called to work for your good, or for your joy, as one passage talks about. And so, you know, when when I'm preparing a sermon for my local allotment, right, for my church, for my congregation, uh, I have them in mind, right? I know the people in my congregation, and as I'm preparing, I'm praying that the Word would preserve them, that the Word would encourage them, that the Word would admonish them, that if they're living counter to what God's word says in this passage that they would turn from that and turn back to the living God and find the hope in the living water. Right. So I have my people in mind and, and no other pastor is preaching a sermon with my people in, in mind. Right. Right. So as much as I love those really good expositors and I love to learn from them and how to do it right and do it well. I cannot substitute them for the preservation act that I have to do on Sunday for my own people, right? And so that's why it's so important uh, to be part of a local church where you have a pastor who knows you and knows what your struggles are. Uh, and and there's just no replacement for it. That is, that is the
0: preservative. So God preserves, to summarize, God preserves his people through his word and through his installation of the church uh, where he brings them into community of faith um, with elders appointed over them, with deacons to lead them in service, and the, the beautiful one another ministry that happens in the local church uh, for the purpose of preserving them. So that, and I would add this, Matt, so that they would go out as sojourners in a foreign land um, as a shining light on a hill, as salt in the earth and what's yep. you know it, it makes my mind immediately go to um uh, i believe it's second peter uh, two or it's first peter two. Oh my gosh correct me if i'm wrong but uh in verse 12 it says that uh, to conduct yourselves honorably amongst the gentiles for when they slander you as an evildoer they will see your good works and will glorify god on the day that he visits And this beautiful picture um, of sojourners in foreign lands is meant to do the will of God out in public space in their family, with their families, with their communities, in their workplaces and in their church. And when someone who's not like you, right, even if you're like a tribe looking at a Levite, right, even with, with someone who's different. And they commit to slandering you as someone who's not doing good things. They cannot deny uh, their own eyes as they watch you live out the the precepts of the Lord amongst them. And because of them, their witness of you doing that thing. And what results is the glory of God. And um, so there's so much here uh, for us today, as much as there was. For the the tribes and the Levites back in Joshua twenty one days. And Neil, I'd say there's
1: even more, right? Because we have the high priest that has come, not the one that's being expected. You know, so we have even more richness to pull from this.
0: Yeah, and and you know, my my mind also, as you were talking, went to Genesis chapter twelve and seeing how this. Uh, plays out, you know, even before Joshua, like the the intention of the seed uh, of the woman being expressed throughout history. You know, in Genesis twelve, it says uh, in one through uh, three. Now the Lord said to Abram, "Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing." I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, man, we see this, this promised seed to Abraham, who is the promised seed to the woman who will crush the head of the snake, um, expressed here even so in Joshua 21, um, as as they are meant to be a blessing to those around them.
1: Yeah, which really leads us into God is faithful. So 43 through 45 is like a little subscript. Uh, And I'm just going to read it because it's so powerful for us to remember today. So Yahweh gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. And Yahweh gave them rest on every side, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and and no one of all their enemies stood before them. Yahweh gave all their enemies into their hand not one promise, this is my, this is beautiful, not one promise of the good promises which Yahweh had promised to the house of Israel failed, all all came to pass. And if you notice in this translation, it's repetition of this word promise, right? right? Joshua is saying, God's promises are complete. Uh, One commentator says this, and I have to quote it uh, at length, because it's such a good, um, good way to express it. It says this, only when we see the barriers Yahweh smashes in order to fulfill his word, only when we see his promise trampling all apparent obstacles put in his way, only then will we appreciate how tenacious our God's fidelity is to his promise and his people. And man, that's just a powerful summary of God's faithfulness. God fulfilled what he promises, um, and that promise is traced as, as Neil so so eloquently pointed out through Abraham, who could not have children with Sarai, later Sarah, and then traced through Isaac and Jacob to Moses and Joshua, and is finally being fulfilled. And I just love how it says nothing has failed. God, Mm -hmm. our
0: God is unfailing. Or to quote, to quote another great commentary, commentator, Sarai uh, Grogan, my five-year-old daughter, uh, she always says, you know, Papa, God always keeps his promises. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, so we see the uh, the the refuge our God is, the manner in which he preserves us through the, his word and through the church and his faithfulness through the ages uh, to us. And there are promises are, that are yet to be fulfilled. But just as God has fulfilled his promises in, of old, like we saw here in verse 45, he promises a, a a one day that he will wipe away every tear from your eyes; that suffering will be no more; that sin and death will end. Uh, the old, the older, the former things will pass away because the new has come. And we look forward, uh, expecting God to do exactly what He says He will do, just as He has already done. Uh, his track record is is blameless and perfect.
1: I want to encourage you to find God as a refuge, to be preserved by his means, which is the word and the church, and know that our God is faithful. Mm.
0: So there's a lot to consume here, uh, a lot to meditate on. Uh, as you read God's word, our encouragement to, to you is, one, don't just pass over Uh, maybe monotonous passages or obscure passages, but sink your teeth in and begin to think, um, how does this point us to Jesus? And what do I need to specifically apply to my life today? Um, Because there is much for us, no matter where we are at in the text, as we uh, read, you know, the the whole bible as we intake the whole bible and so that's joshua 20 and 21 guys we thank you for listening to the gospel lifeline until next time neil and matt we out